and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... I'll be loveless. Danielle Renee. Hey, everybody. We're so glad to be partnered up with Mignolaverse.com. Be sure to check them out. I want to thank them so much for all their support. They interviewed me last week, so you can check that out, along with all your Hellboy and BPRD-related content. Some listener feedback from our last couple episodes. Thanks again, Mark Tweedo and his Mignolaversity articles on Multiversity.com. They gave us another shout-out this week in their review of the latest BPRD issue. I didn't share the article because it's super spoilery, and we are way far away from any of that, but thanks again, gang. That issue was a doozy. Lassie Jorgensen on Facebook said... Hey guys, your podcast got me to go back and reread the books. After 10 days or so, I am so far done with the Hellboy Library 1 through 5, the complete BPRD Plague of Frogs. I go through the Mignolaversity reading order as you, and I have just begun Witchfinder. I love how we're reading the older, makes a lot more sense now. So many details that I just didn't get when I read them 10 years ago. So, wow, he is speeding through this way past where we are, but right. we'll, we'll get to all that good stuff eventually. And let us know if we've mispronounced your name we always want to know that we want to get your name right so just if we ever say your name on sure. the show and you don't like the way we're saying it just please tell us and we'll correct ourselves i think i have a habit of mispronunciation well, it's not, you know if you don't know how to pronounce it that's, a lot of things yeah. but you know we do want to learn so let us know our bestest friend kevin alford chimed in as well he said i was listening to the wake the devil episode again and i noticed a few recurring themes and interesting bits I think that Hellboy might be the only comic that doesn't run in comic book time, as everything actually seems to progress year by year with a single, uninterrupted continuity. Mm. Within that continuity, I notice that literally every Nazi character in the series is characterized by anger, which is not exactly uncommon, but more specifically, they're all hungry for revenge. Even before the end of the war, everybody seemed to be acting by way of salted earth and poison wells. Also, the primary trademark of the Nazi and the Mignolaverse isn't just occult science projects. It's much more specific. Everything they try to do starts with soft understanding of something supernatural, but ends with the kind of science you do with a sledgehammer. Forcibly extracting blood from a vampire, repeatedly grafting machines onto dead bodies, and trying to force demons to join their crazy plans. You can even see it in the Ragnarok gloves from Seed of Destruction. There's nothing elegant or subtle about them. Rasputin could have had boxing gloves covered in chainsaws and fire, and it would have had the same style. So to recap, as this is certainly too long to read, I read it anyway. <laughs> all Nazi are out for revenge against the world, even before they lost, and all Nazi science is done using brute force and nothing else. So I thought this was really interesting. I thought this was some really in interesting right. insight. And I think that um, there was some of his comments that actually cut out because it references sure. stuff in the right, future. Right, right. So I think we'll be able to track well, this. But getting back to what he was saying, like it's it's a fair characterization because it, I mean um, all the whatever documentaries and and things that you interviews and historians talk about is how you know the tone of the, the of the of the time when this was all going on, like when. Uh, originally, when Nazis were doing their thing, right. it was a whole, it was the whole atmosphere was one of the world owes us something and we're going to take it because we we feel like we're owed this and we're we're going to take this by force and we're going to cast out the people whose fault it is and they would right, scapegoat right. you know various peoples for various whatever and say oh we got to get rid of these people we got to get rid of those people because they're the reason that we're so weak and we can be strong by 
closing ranks and all that sort of. So it's 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 not an unfair characterization, and I right. think that currently the new resurgence of that whole fucking bullshit is it's the same thing. It's like. You know, at least in in America, I don't know, right. I don't want to speak for the whole world, but in America, that whole thing is like, yeah, we're gonna get revenge for the way that we've been knocked down, which is totally, I mean, it's all this, you know, it's it's complete fabricated, right. and this weird, Propaganda. it's very delusional, oh, yeah. it's very delusional thinking, and it's you know all that sort of thing. But it's, you know, I I, I agree with his comment, and I I also think that it's it's apropos for the subject matter, right? Yeah, so it makes sense that those characters are behaving that way yeah i also like um you know the um where he mentions uh talking about um you know the like the rasputin's glove sure. and how it just you know everything is just kind of like slammed onto it and it's like yeah you know that just seemed very nazi like you know that uh you take something like elegant and, like magic is supposed to yeah. be and then just shove like technology yeah. right up into it very slapdash uh, yeah. very slapdash and unnatural yeah. like they're trying to get to an unnatural conclusion through unnatural means yeah and it's just like they don't really understand the what they're doing anyway and no, so yeah exactly they, just, they're kind of, they don't really <laughs> yeah, care that's true. And, and they well when i say they don't understand what they're doing i mean like they don't understand the forces that they're dealing with right well they're distorting uh, it for yeah. this weird yeah and they think it's going to bring them that power back that you were mentioning earlier sure. something that they were owed uh fucking nazis <laughs> <laughs> fucking nazis yeah that's the only rap. thing you can really say there you go oh great to quote great discussion some listener feedback on Into the Silent Sea, which we discussed last week. Jerry Turnbull on Facebook said, Heka Emin-Ra Hecate is one of the most interesting creations in Hellboy stories. Sure. Like Rasputin, she is no mere comic book villain. She is only doing what she thinks is right. She gave knowledge to man that had been kept secret. I came into this world to set men free, she says. I think her chilling prophecy of what is to happen on the last day will probably come to pass. Mm. Frowny face emoji. So <laughs> remember she said that um, on the last day, her and Hellboy are, are destined to be together on the on that right. last day. So, yeah, we'll see. That's that's actually um, we, we still don't know what what happens to that threat that that's still. Kind well, of you've out read there. through a couple of times. I actually don't know. Yeah. What's, so I'm <laughs> I also don't know yeah. either. <laughs> None I've only do. read I've only read a couple of stories here and there. You've actually read through the whole thing several times, haven't you? Yeah. Like all the material. So that's that reminds not me all the material, but but most of it. There are st- some things that I still haven't read, or maybe really? I've only read one time. Oh, interesting. And I haven't really gone back to, but it'll. But we'll that. we'll get through all of it together. Sure. Yeah. That's what the book club is for. I also have to agree with that um, characterization of uh, Hecate. Um, yeah. Being uh, somebody who doesn't see herself as as the villain of the piece, because right. nobody really sees themselves as the villain. Right. Of the piece. Exactly. Yeah. You know, not and, any good villains. Yeah. Exactly. Not, not any well written yeah. villains. I guess we should say. But yes, that'd probably be the better way. The better way to say it. But uh, and I like that he uh, Mignola takes the time to craft Hecate and his other villains as more than just one note, one flavor mm-hmm. villains, and it, it's kind of refreshing. And yeah, by the time they're done with their spiel, you're like, oh, maybe. Well, yeah, so you, you do bring up some good I points. You demented uh, demon from hell, <laughs> right? I like to share every week kind of some of the things that we talked about. And I and I usually like to share when they do comparisons of different artist style, like Gianni's version of Hellboy and the Mermaids versus oh, right, the yeah. actual version from The Third Wish. And Nathaniel Green, he was saying on there, I love seeing the different artist renditions of historic moments in the Hellboy universe. And so I try to share that stuff every week. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to see all that additional content. Josh Atkins on Facebook also said, 
I love Gary Gianni's work. His illustrations in Del Rey's Savage Tales of Solomon by Robert E. Howard are great as well. We mentioned Robert E. Howard on a previous episode, right? Do you remember what that reference was? Well, the guy, he created Conan. I don't remember what reference we were talking about. Yeah, he was he was connected to some reference. Anyway, I'll go back and figure that out. I just remember it had come up before. You got Thanks. to edit in something like, hey, by the way, guys, I found it. <laughs> we were talking about this. <laughs> hey, Robert E. Howard was referenced in episode five when we discussed the lost civilization of Lemuria, which Howard wrote about. Boom. If only I could do that in real life. I know, really. Because I'm always like, hey, John, who was that guy that was in that movie? <laughs> who was in that thing? And But you reinforce that behavior so much because you'll always think of it. You'll just Usually come out I of know. nowhere with, I know who with uh, Kurt Russell or whoever the hell it is I'm fucking trying to think of. Kathy will sometimes ask me questions like things like that, too. And then the other day, she's like, what was that movie you were watching? You know, the one that had the Hellboy's dad in it? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And she's like, you know, I was like, do you mean legend? She's like, yeah, with the unicorns. And I was just like. If you had said with the unicorns, I might as I might have been able to think of it earlier. Yeah. John Hurt is in that movie? No. Uh, Tim Curry plays Darkness, and she was referring to Darkness as Hellboy's dad. <laughs> And so now every time I see Legend or think about Legend, I'm like, Hellboy's dad. Okay. That's great. Sure. I'm going to think of that the wow. next time I, I'm, I'm due for a rewatch of that. Anyway, sorry, we, I completely interrupted you. <laughs> Tom Barnett on Twitter said, Hey gang, thought you'd be interested to know that Gary Gianni did a backup feature in Hellboy called Monster Man in the 90s. And I think this was in the Wake, Wake the Devil issues. He also added stories and the cover to the Christmas special. So I don't think I mentioned that at the time when we read that Christmas story. When the old lady mistakes Hellboy as Santa Claus, that story, uh, the cover is Gary Gianni on the actual issue. Awesome artist Ross Radke. Check out his stuff on Instagram and Twitter. He was talking to us as well. He said that he's almost caught up, just finished Conqueror Worm and starting The Third Wish, but now I got to fork over more cash for the next library edition. (laughs) He said his trades are falling apart from studying the art so much. So he's read a lot of this stuff before, but now he's coming along with us as well and rereading all this stuff. Checking out the library editions. He was talking about how much the... He likes the paper and the oversized art, and they're really worth it, in oh, my opinion, yeah, if, you, if you can get them. Yeah. Some listener feedback on The Crooked Man. When I post our teaser image, usually before we post a new episode, I post the picture of all the issues that we're going to read. Kevin Alford said, oh, The Crooked Man is so awesome and horrific. Why do I read Hellboy before bed? Yeah, don't <laughs> And Jerry Turnbull also responded to our discussion. He said, another good listen. Thanks, guys. Was interested to hear Danielle's viewpoint on the Melungian witches, etc. I think in the Hellboy universe, witches are completely a force of evil. I don't think there's any good witches. So I had no problem with the way that they were depicted. So I, I think I, there are some good, or at least neutral. I think there's. I think that the approach taken towards shamanism here can be all what is what's in your. It's all in your intention, mm. and I think. That there are a lot of points in the series where Hellboy has to use some sort of whatever magic or some some kind of shamanistic force where he you know, that'll help be, him. It that'll, would be considered witchcraft. Where that would yeah. help him, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that there are some good characters or, or at least neutral characters that practice witchcraft and shamanism. I think they they pop up here and there. I think that there's there's a lot of depictions that feel feed into stereotypes, but there's also a lot of depictions that I think do add to the story something more than just this is the bad thing this is the good thing let's fight 
Right. So I obviously I'm not trying to bring down the writing in any way or just say that, oh, all these depictions are negative. I, I actually don't think that they're all negative. I think that some of them are, and that one definitely was. But there's some stuff coming up that we're about to get to. Yeah, no, that's, that's not true. so much. So I, I I don't so much agree with that. I think that there are, there are a lot of really notorious witches that are brought up, like Hecate and all that stuff. But as we just talked about, you know, well, Hecate doesn't necessarily think she's right evil why would she you know she's just doing her thing so that's it's a bit there's a bit more gray area than that right and i think something that i was thinking of is it there's the what what your definition is yes of that because i think in the hellboy universe we are going to see more of the stereotypical evil witches and that's kind of the like the bog rouge and all that that but even the bog rouge isn't stereotypical she thinks she's saving yeah that world she she really thinks that she's She's embroiled in all these little tiffs with some other witches and right, stuff. And right. so they all have the Baba Yaga and they, they all have their little, the way that they socialize or or the, their lack of socialization. But I feel like they're from a time that's sort of passing or has passed. And mm. so they're kind of maybe more in the shadows. And it, it could be more about perspective than anything else. So I didn't mean to, to lash out so much at the depiction of witches throughout the Hellboy universe. I just, in that particular story... It seemed a little much, mm, mm. but for what we the other stuff that we've read so far, uh, for example, Mothlomi, the shaman with you know the bell and the bird staff and and all of that, his medic- yeah. his medicine stuff, seemed to be a very positive force from where we're coming from. So yeah, there's a sure. lot of I think there's a lot of positive depictions of shamans and witches in this universe. I just uh, we do come across a lot of a lot of stuff that's not working in Hellboy's favor, the BPRD's favor. Right, so there. Right. There, it's it's a case by case basis, and it's a very kind of a you know what I mean. Yeah. So I I apologize if I kind of went overboard with my criticism. I did not mean to do that at all. I do think that Mignola's writing obviously is incredible, and all that sort of stuff. So I you know I don't mean to criticize too heavily. Yeah, and I think we're also talking about a universe where devils and angels exist and all this sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. So you know it's kind There's of there's like, a lot of gray area though. There's a lot of yeah. you know, and so exploring that is something worth talking about though. And I'm glad that Jerry brought that point up because i think that the further along we get the more examples we'll see of both and the more kind of neutral territory we might run across where we have to decide for ourselves what's going on there which is always part of the fun when you're discussing things in a book club so yeah it is anything else before we go on we'll start with the hydra and the lion so the hydra and the lion was originally published in dark horse book of monsters in 2006 since we read The Third Wish, The Island, and Into the Silent Sea, we flashed back to 1958, and we are looking at more of these short stories of Hellboy. The Crooked Man, which we read last week, was set in 1958, Appalachia, and now here we are in Alaska in 1961. And it kind of made me think of World's Greatest Paranormal Investigator in those very first oh, right, yeah. Hellboy that, stories. Yeah. 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 And um, here we kind of see, uh, we're, we're kind of seeing him jump all over the world and just investigating all these random It's a very X-Files yeah. kind of thing yeah, where like Mulder that. and Scully show up in a quiet Alaskan town and they're, yeah. you know, but there's, it's just, you know, it's Hellboy's got to be Mulder and Scully <laughs> at the same time. Well, yeah. It works. Yeah, it's not it bad. Is. But I, um, I think who was asking me, was it Kel- Kevin Alford was asking me, what am I looking forward to later? And I, I haven't read as much as you, obviously. Right. I've only read stuff here and there, like I've mentioned before, but. I am looking forward to some of the BPRD stuff so that I we get that feel yeah. of like that team working. I love an ensemble story. I think oh, it's yeah. going to be really cool. So I'm, I'm I am excited for that. That's going to be great. 
I'm also a little excited for that, too. Yeah. Because, I mean. Not that this isn't great. Oh, no, this is awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. But... It's just two different. And we'll it's get different, to it. Yeah, it's different, so, anyway. flavors, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hellboy is in a graveyard. He talks to a local and learns of the local's friend, who went by the name of Stromo back in 1929 when they met. He was working in Stubby Lewis Circus. I couldn't really find anything about Stubby Lewis Circus. There is Lewis and Clark's Circus. So that is a thing, but um, I don't know where Stubby Lewis comes from. This friend eventually retired and worked as a school janitor. And we learned that this Stromo was actually Hercules. And Hellboy has some doubt, right? He's like, the real Hercules? Yeah. Although... Maybe not quite as doubtful as all that because he does run into a lot of mythological figures, so. Right, yeah. Wait, so is he saying like the real Hercules as in this guy was claiming he was Hercules or is he going around thinking is Hercules real kind of question? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, Hellboy says the real Hercules and the guy says, yeah, I don't know, who knows? I mean, maybe, (laughs) probably. He doesn't seem to care. He's like, yeah, he's a good guy. You know, he's cool. Everybody liked him. He was a good guy. And Hellboy was like, hmm, so might actually be the real hercules i don't know so he doesn't well, seem all that doubtful i'm i'm willing to believe it is the real hercules i mean if we have like you know people like hecate and the bagrush and the baba yaga yeah absolutely why not have so a, I, a, yeah. a demigod from a greek demigod or yeah. i also i wonder if hellboy was like am i getting myself into some trouble here like what's gonna happen oh yeah but i do i want to say real quick i love this tombstone i love the design of it the um yes actually going back to the first page all the graveyard i like you know yeah. i like the little alaskan town we see this guy stromo slash hercules and he's got the like loincloth or whatever yeah well it's 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 he's wearing like the hide yeah, of an animal the, yeah well, it looks i guess like it's not a inside. oh yeah but um it's i love all the design here i love the the tombstone, the way that the... I love the hourglass with the wings. It's just a really good look. And his choicest prize, eternal peace. Pretty good. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention the art of the the art on this is by Mignola. The story is by Mignola. Also, the colors are by Dave Stewart and the letters are by Clem Robbins. Yeah, but we're back to some good Mignola art. And like Danielle said, this tombstone is, is really awesome. Hercules is a Roman hero and god. In classical mythology, Hercules is famous for his strength and his numerous far-ranging adventures. The man says that after the funeral of Hercules, a fog rolled in, then the monster. I like the runes on this guy. He seems to have some sort of a sash across his shoulders. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. You're right. I didn't notice that either. Really interesting. I wonder if that's... I don't know what that is. I don't want to speculate because I don't want to in, in case that's actually some sort of indigenous But on this panel, sigils. he's got one on the other side. He, oh, yeah. It's, it's a like sash. a side that's going it's, across, oh, like a scarf. It's, going, yeah. it's almost like a... I don't want to speculate as to what those might represent because I don't want to you yeah. know, disrespect any... If that's from an actual culture, an indigenous culture Good or something. Detail. But yeah, it's really... It looks great. The monster appeared the same day that they put the tombstone up, but hasn't hurt anyone. They kind of hear this squee sound through the air, which frightens the man. He says, hey, I got an idea. I don't want to get in your way, so I'll wait here. Keep going straight. You can't miss it. So he's just sending Hellboy out and to investigate this thing on his own. Well, I mean, that's probably you need why any, they called him. You yeah. need any help? Call me. And he's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And so we revealed that the squeeze sound is a girl who's on this giant monster and she's pulling a tooth out of it while it sleeps. And I love the little pop as the tooth comes out in the pliers. That's a really good little panel. And Hellboy's just kind of shocked when he sees this. (laughs) 
I was gonna say, yeah, I, I like that reaction shot because he's like, what the yeah, fuck? Get here. <laughs> the girl says she's getting teeth for her collection. And Hellboy just pulls her down from the monster. I like how he's like, "Come here!" The yeah. way that little that little uh, panel is really there's a lot of comedy in that. I think uh, coming from like a someone who's a who a has seasoned to, yeah. veteran of dealing with monsters. Um, he pulls her down from the monster and asks if she lives around there. She says she's from Sitheron. You know where that is, and so Sitheron is a mountain range in central Greece. The girl asks Hellboy if she wants to see his collection, and she names all of her cool items. And so she has, like, all this crazy stuff. She talks about an iron feather, a bronze hoof, tears from Princess Megara shed for her murdered sons. Hair from a three-headed dog. Yeah. Which, these are all starting to kind of describe some of the labors of Hercules. Right, yes, exactly. And But Hellboy's thoroughly confused. <laughs> he just says, go home. Yeah. She says, don't worry about me. I'm half lion. And she like gives a little grr to prove it. I have to say, I love that little grr. <laughs> She's yeah. like, I'm half lion. Yeah. <laughs> he does a great job of drawing this little girl, her expression. And when she grrs, then there's a loud roar from behind Hellboy. And the monster's neck is kind of rising He's like, oh, crap. And she goes, you said a bad word. I love the design on this monster. <laughs> it's really good. Really yeah. fantastic. As Hellboy fights the monster, we get right hand of doom boom number 10 right here. As he says, quiet you. He punches the monster. He kind of splits the head open. And then it turns into two. I was going to say, I was really impressed by the way that he smashed that thing in the face and it split it right in yeah. two. Well, it, it might be possible that this Hydra has evolved a glass jaw so as to oh, split his yeah. heads easier. I have no idea. I'm just speculating on no, that's great. mythological creatures, like anatomy. And the little girl's like, ooh, the Hydra. And she just, yeah, comes out and says, the Hydra. Yeah. So she clearly knows what this thing is, whoever she is. And Hellboy's like, you guys look fake. Yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> The design is so great. I really love this. The monsters like little faces and all. Yeah, that. and it's saying like "ronk ronk." I like that also. Oh yeah, where the, they're all talking at the yeah. same time. And he booms it again. Now this one's kind of off panel, so I didn't know whether to count this one. I think it is with the right hand because in the panel before you see him kind of circling up that. Yeah, the... he is gearing up. So I didn't know whether to hand. count that one. Definitely as... for sure. That's the one he you uses. Count it as a half. Count it as a <laughs> no. It's a full because you can see he's winding up. Right, right. What is the criteria exactly? Does it have to have him hitting it and the boom in he the same panel? He still got his hand up too, from when he hit it. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I'll figure out a way to cut it together so that way it can fit my brain right. Because I'm just a stickler <laughs> about stuff like that. So I guess we'll call that right hand of doom boom number eleven. Danielle Champion. For I'm campaigning it, so. <laughs> for this very hard now. But with that boom, now there's three heads. And we get a panel at the bottom where they're all pulling at him. I think that that's a really good one. The little, the local man, he's just like, Hellboy? <laughs> As he's getting torn apart. And this last panel is really great with the little grr. And you see kind of like a cat eye or something like that. So the Hydra throws Hellboy up in the air. And this lion is pulling at the Hydra's skin. So it kind of causes a distraction. And Hellboy's just like, kid, he looks at the line and it, it kind of fades away. I really love the pacing on yeah. this a lot. The line kind of like, it fades like away. Ghost, the ghost lion. And the Hydra's kind of looking too like, what? What the <laughs> heck was that? <laughs> so where do you think that line came from, Hellboy says to the Hydra. And then at the next panel, we reveal Hellboy, he, you know, he just tied up all the heads, I guess, so they wouldn't keep creating more Hydras, but at the same time, a way to 
kind of c- contain them. He says, that wasn't too bad. Let me make a phone call and the Bureau will send some guys to pick that up. And he's just like pointing to Very it. Very matter I, of fact Yeah, I really like, I like that a lot. I'll just say the uh, image of the Hydra with its heads all tied up just kind of makes me chuckle a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> they're all saying, ack, and stuff like that. Hellboy says, you didn't by any chance see a little girl go by, or a lion? And the guy's like, uh, no, what? <laughs> Never mind. 16 hours later in Fairfield, Connecticut, at the BPRD headquarters, Broom and a, and a professor try to examine what Hellboy saw. Yeah, and we haven't seen Broom, Broom in a while. Action. Yeah, yeah we excited. haven't seen him in yeah. a while. Professor Broom's great. They try to examine what Hellboy saw, and all these facts, you know, that Broom throws out coincide with the Greek mythology of Hercules, and he says, you know, basically... I think it was most likely that the child wasn't actually a physical manifestation of Hercules' unresolved guilt. And Hellboy's just like, oi, right, with all that that (laughs) info drop. After Hercules killed his wife and children in a fit of madness brought about by Hera, he prayed to the god Apollo for guidance. And Hercules was told to serve the king for 12 years. During these 12 years, Hercules essentially performed 12 difficult feats or labors, like Danielle pointed out. The Hydra in the story might be a reference to the Hydra of Lerna. In the canonical myth, the monster is killed by Hercules using sword and fire as the second of his 12 labors. The Iron Feather is from the Stymphalian Birds, which was his sixth labor. The Bronze Hoove is from the Cenarian Hyde, which was the third labor. The hair of the three-headed dog is from Cerberus, which was the twelfth labor. The eleventh labor was to steal the golden apples from the Garden of Hesperides. Nessus was a centaur that was killed by Hercules, and a drop of his blood was poison that actually ended up killing Hercules. I'm not sure where the silver eggshell is from, but it might be from the Stymphalian birds because they had metal wings and bronze beaks. And I don't know about the stone that fell from the sky, so that's the one, the only one that I wasn't able to find. And I'm sure Aubrey and Danielle are looking at me like Hellboy, where they're like, oi! <laughs> I had to go look up all that trivia for all those little references in the story. I like this last panel here where the ghost lion is laying on, you know, Hercules' grave here next to his tombstone. It's a very nice little nice way to, ending. Yeah. yeah, nice way to wrap it up. And I just love whenever Mignola draws animals. He just has a really oh, good yeah. way of doing that. For sure. Yeah. Some trivia about the Hydra and the lion. Mignola says that he cobbled this one together with his daughter Katie at an Italian restaurant in New York. She used to tell people that she was half lion and she would grr like that. Aww. That's precious. Um, That's and, so cute. Um, she was really into the movie Hercules, the Disney movie, oh, where wow. there's a giant Hydra fight. That was her favorite part. Cool. So that's why Mignola wanted to do that. And we actually watched it. I, I, I watched the Hercules movie, and that Hydra fight is actually pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah. yeah. For the time, it was really great animation. It's, it still looks good. It holds up. Yeah, and they reference a lot of the labors in the little yeah. where he's um, uh, yeah, that was learning cool. to be a hero. They reference a lot. I was like, oh, shit, I just read about this. And the, the montage, the training yeah, montage. Yeah, the training montage. One of my favorite parts of that movie is where somebody's like, somebody call IXII. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> great. There was a lot of um, humor there that I think would kind of go over the head of some kids, but was yes. more aimed at people like our age which yeah. was it was really fun it was kind of fun you know the parents taking the kids to see the movie they sure. gotta be entertained exactly too. yeah it was nice and well and of course you got james woods james woodsing it up oh man there. yeah just, he's at 10 man so it was his daughter katie's idea to have the girl pulling out the hydra's teeth yeah interesting mignola said the whole thing never made much sense but he told it to his long-suffering editor the very patient scott alley and then forgot about it and then a few years later 
Allie asked him for the Hydra story. He said, uh, damn it, at the last minute I added that bit about the Thesbian and Nemean lions, so at least we could have a couple guys trying to make sense of this story. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty good. Next, we're going to talk about the Troll Witch. The Troll Witch, art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Dream team. Yeah, really great, really great stuff. Especially in this one. I mean, it's really fantastic stuff. Oh, yeah, and in this first page, you can just kind of see there's just... I mean, You're I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you can yeah. just kind of tell that this is going to be an awesome story. And pointing out that little panel on the bottom with the bone and the spoons in the jar. All the flowers and, and plants. And like we were talking about just now, Mignola is so good at drawing animals and plants. And it's through his eyes with his style. It's just fantastic. Yeah. It's really good mood setting and everything. yes it i've i've read this this is one of the ones yeah. i had read a while back yeah previously but revisiting it now with in the context of the whole everything else we've read is oh my god i was like reading it brand new right it was awesome and i don't know if i said this was originally published in dark horse book of witchcraft in 2004 oh wow um, we open in Norway in 1963. Hellboy approaches an old house and meets a troll. She knows Hellboy, and she asks if he's come to kill her. Maybe, he says. And like you said, I like that um, that chicken foot and all the kind of like... Um, she got all the herbs and she's got a mortar and pestle. pestle. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. like that a lot. And uh, I, I like how Hellboy... It's very characteristic of him to be patient and to hear people yeah. out. Because he knows that not everything is what it seems and I, he might have probably experienced in the past a little bit of i don't know prejudice for the way that he looks something like that because he looks evil people comment on how much he looks like the devil right or whatever their idea of what the devil would look like yeah. exactly yeah and he you know he's he looks like he could be something dangerous or evil but he's really a nice guy and so he's willing to sit down he's like he says well maybe what did you do? Right. Like, did you kill all these people or are you, <laughs> is it a big mistake? And he's willing to hear her out and, and find out what's really going on. That makes him, you know, an investigator, which is, so it's very much set in this tone of he is an investigator. He's not just running around fighting people. Like he's finding out what's happening. Yeah. He's not letting his emotions get ahead of him going, look at that monster. On the yeah, exactly. Killer. Exactly. Yeah. Cause he's, he's probably been, on the other side of that. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to no, say that. yeah, that's great. Great insight. The troll witch knows Hellboy is there to investigate some murders, and she says there will be more. Hellboy says that she must get around. Not I. I've not left this place in many years. No, the world comes to me here on crooked feet and crooked wing, so I know what goes on in the secret places, and I know about you. And I love this bat frog. Is that yeah, a bat frog? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's adorable and just the interiors of her house i was just about to say yeah like there's a little her chair that's next to the hearth yeah it's got a little heart in it it's very quaint and grandma-y yes and you know little baskets everywhere all the little knickknacks and and cast iron stuff yeah and i like the little kettle on the fire yeah yeah. looks like she's warming up some something for some tea or something yeah very very homey hellboy says he's not there to talk about him we get another little rendition of uh, baby hellboy i love that panel right there and he deflects that conversation for once he's like i'm not here to talk about me that's (laughs) i'm tired of doing that right they reveal that the townspeople have sent him to the troll witch and she asks do you know why hellboy why don't you tell me it's a sad story 
And one thing I wanted to point out, we've been panning, like, if you go back to the beginning, we're, like, panning over into these rocks, like, every page, like, more into the darkness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even, it even has a fading from light into darkness yeah. kind of a feel yeah. on this panel. And Hellboy, the way he lights his cigarette and then is smoking it, the pacing is so fucking perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really like that too. Sound like a broken record by just being like, "Ah, it's amazing," you know. But it with is with the dialogue and so everything, good. it just sits so well. And you know, I don't know what to say more about the story. It's beautifully done. This recounting of the troll witch legend. The pacing is so good. You know, you got the little girl with, and she's next to a goose. It just gives this yeah. very homey, farmy feel. And then you see the witch. You know, the, she's looks very shamanistic, and yeah. then you see these two flowers. Obviously, Mignola's just so good at. You know, we see in the little extras sections of sometimes of the editions that we've got the the studies that he does, animal yeah. studies or plant studies or things like that. I mean, any one of these depictions would make a fantastic tattoo. Any of right. these, you know. So I, I I really love that. But the fact that he combines that style with the the pacing that he uses and it just it strikes the perfect mood for this script yeah it really does and i hate yeah. to keep just going off on these tangents and just blah this is awesome but it really is that's what that's what this whole podcast is for to just go over all these details <laughs> so this troll witch tale there was a woman who couldn't have a child so she got two flowers from a witch and was told to only eat the pretty looking flower and leave the ugly one i was thinking about this why give her two in the first place that's just part of it right like there has to be like maybe some temptation she, in this tale maybe or she something. couldn't figure out how to make the magic work without that happening mm. you know maybe there is another witch somewhere Oh, okay. At the end of the story, perhaps, who figures out how to make these flowers all be, you know, the same and in uniform and not have one come out dead. Maybe that's just a part of her particular brand of magic. Or maybe you're right. Maybe she's a little weird and she's just like, hey, hey, hey yeah, I'm gonna play around with these people, you know. Why did you think of that? I thought it was more like a, the temptation thing to see if you right. can really just have that uh, restraint and self-control and yeah. just right. eat the one flower. But I wonder why, like, who is she to judge, you know, what people do and don't do? She came here to fix a problem that she was having, and I don't know. I think that's a, right. little, that's a little much. So the woman ate the pretty flower and had a pretty girl but couldn't resist eating the ugly flower because she wanted to try and have a boy, instead giving birth to an ugly, stunted, troll-like girl. But the sisters love each other. And it's very cute um, when they're embracing it's adorable, here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I, I really like the fact that they didn't make the sisters. He didn't make the sisters rivals. Right. Or anything. Yeah. They're just still like, yeah, yeah. You're my sister. I'm your sister. We're sisters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it says here, you know, they would have put her out, which like let the baby die of exposure. Oh, right. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's a little dark. Wow. And so, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it does go back to this whole thing where maybe the witch was trying to teach them a little oh, fairy tale type lesson of like, that. of like, hey, look, if you're going to take responsibility, you know, the whole thing about, oh, I, I have a girl, but I want a boy. Like, what the fuck? Whatever. Uh, it's a little much. And so, you know, having a girl that is, quote unquote, not, not your idea of what, right. you know, your children are supposed to look like. That's a cool little thing of, you know, loving people for who they are and the whole outward appearance thing not necessarily being whatever, you know. Yeah, it really thing. is. So that's, maybe that's what yeah. that witch was trying to teach Hey, them. who knows? Because maybe, yeah. Like like you were saying, Aubrey, like maybe she understood that the temptation, quote unquote, would yeah. be too much. Who knows? So some trolls showed up on Christmas Eve and the troll girl was compelled to go out and fight them. I wonder why. 
do you think she saw in them the thing that was monstrous in herself? So I thought this was interesting because they're just out there just doing whatever. And the mom is like, look, they'll pass. This will all just go away. Leave it alone. But she just couldn't. And I thought that was kind of interesting. That's her temptation. Yeah. That's where that's coming in where she's so angry perhaps at herself for looking the way she does. Right. She has to go destroy the things that people compare her to. To maybe distance herself, you know, psychologically right. from those things. Horrible. Who can say only that she was enraged with them and fought them like a bear? And so during the fight, the pretty girl sticks her head out the window and it was snatched off by a troll and replaced with a cow head, turning her into a cow. What'd you guys think of this? Um, well, one thing I wasn't expecting the, the girl's <laughs> head to get taken and replaced with a cow head. And so that kind of threw me for a loop right there. You need to have you need to have some aspect of tragedy in a story like this. Yeah. I and mean, that's going to be a given. But I guess it also comes down to like um, she couldn't resist fighting with the trolls, and then the sister stuck her head out, and her sister lost her life. And so, had she not gone and fought with the trolls, maybe her sister wouldn't have had that tragedy. For sure, happen. and that's and that's the you know the lesson. I think another, and I just thought of this right now as you were talking, Aubrey, and then the temptation of the of the pretty girl to stick her head out the window and look after her sister. Yeah. Like, she didn't have to do that if she had just stayed not stuck in her head out the window. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the bond that yeah. they share. I think that the responsibility really falls on this woman's shoulder. She's the person telling the story is saying that she feels responsible for all right. this happening right. and all all of that stuff and so when you know it's a cl- it's it's the classic fairy tale oh if you mind your own business then you won't get whatever whatever the hell they're trying <laughs> yeah. to say with that but it's it adds some depth to it because we most fairy tales you don't really get to talk to the person telling it from their perspective oh, yeah? it's it's mostly just like and that's why you don't wander into the woods after dark go to sleep kids it's this you're mm-hmm. talking to someone who lived this and that's where i think mike mignola takes it a step further and and puts hellboy right in the middle of this story and yeah. says now you have to deal with this emotionally mm-hmm. and yeah. that's where he puts the reader yeah so you follow hellboy through this as the reader and you're getting you're getting that emotional connection yourself and you're able to compare that in your own life and say well what is it so that's it's much more effective i think than just the classic that's why you always wear your (laughs) shoes when you go outside you know what i mean it's it's there's there's simple lessons for children but he takes us to a heightened place of this is a little bit more complicated it's not quite as black and white it's a little gray you have to sort of pick through everyone's making their own little mistakes and everyone's trying to put it right in their own way Right. Yeah. And I just wanted to talk about that red where it kind of cuts to red. There's those panels in red. And then as her head is replaced with the cow's head, there's like some motion with the face. Yeah. Yeah. The tongue is sticking out. Just really amazing the way that they, uh, the way that he kind of almost animates that. Can you imagine the fury of that ugly child taking a wooden spoon and riding on a goat? She went down into Trollheim. And she killed a pile of trolls and got her sister's head back and her sister turned back into a person and married a prince or something. I have heard that story. That's that's from that's Hellboy. Hellboy interjecting, right. trying to finish the story for her. And she's like, nope, it was terrible. Yeah, a fairy tale. She lived and died a cow. Her bones lie there. And so this is just a really amazing page, too. I love the troll witch riding down on the goat. Ah, oh, it's a great action with the, shot. With that yeah. wooden spoon above her head. And then it's just smashed to red. Yeah. Just total solid red. 
And then the reveal of the cow bones so also. So sad yeah. and tragic. And we're kind of putting this together. If you haven't realized it now, you know, um, this is the troll. That This is her. Right? Oh, right. She's I kind of, about, I kind of yeah. got ahead of myself. No, that's fine. It, but, yeah. Uh, but well, yeah. Spoilers. Damn. <laughs> that's okay. Everyone's supposed to spoilers have read for this. the very next page. <laughs> yeah. But her sister did bring back her head and she reveals this kind of, she's still got her sister's head. It's all decayed, but it's covered in this crown of beautiful flowers, just yeah. like the ones that we saw in the beginning. It's kind of mummified, I guess. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. Maybe it was through magic or mm-hmm. something like that, but it's. Once again, Miomagnola combines this element of what should be scary and creepy ends up being kind of poignant and sweet. Yeah. It's like so gross, but it's also very, oh, wow. That's, yeah. What a, what a beautiful moment. You know, this it's a twisted, weird kind of a, Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I never know how this makes me feel. There's no word for it. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> maybe in another language that I don't speak, but... Someday a woman who is wanting children will come to me. I will give her all these flowers to eat, and all her children will be beautiful, not trollish. And uh, I thought that that was just really beautiful. That's one of those... It almost makes me want to cry a little bit, just right. because... Yeah. Just the emotional weight that's added to it, and Helba's just like, yeah. She, she wants to... She wants whoever she interacts with to have a better outcome. Yeah. And so she's like, I'm just going to eliminate this whole thing altogether. Yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> to kind of pay, I don't know, it's it's almost that idea of, it's almost a karmic idea of, you know, with, look, if anyone ever asks me for that shit, I'm going to make sure they don't have to deal with that bullshit. Right. And if you go back to the first page of this story, when they show her little house, there is that, you can see that little box over the yeah. fireplace and the... Where it says the troll witch is part of the head, is part of her sister's head, if you go back and you look at that. I noticed that little Easter egg. Oh, yeah. And her sister's head calls out to her sister and whispers. The troll witch tells Hellboy where he can find the murdering trolls and gives him her wooden spoon to go down into their cave dwelling and put it in front of the entrance and they won't be able to pass over it, blocking them out, and they'll be exposed to the sun when it comes up, which we know turns trolls into stone. When she shows the spoon, take this, all these years, and it is still wet. In the wood is the sound of their breaking bones. I love that. That is one of my favorite panels. And there's that little zoom in of the blood drip coming down. I thought this was really interesting pacing because as she's talking about it, we're seeing kind of in the future Hellboy's doing that plan. A very effective method of storytelling where instead of explaining the plan and then you act out the plan, it's kind of, you know, that whole, you're explaining it while it's going on. Movies do this all the time. It's, yeah, it's very effective. They will turn to stone, no blow struck, no drop of blood spilled, and I wonder, how will you feel about that? The end. A very interesting ending. I was kind of wondering if, like, the way that he ended, how how would you feel about that? Is kind of like the the troll witch talking to Hellboy, but also Mignola talking to us. Absolutely, as yeah. like there is 100%. no big fight in this one. It's just this. One hundred percent. And I think also this was in the Dark Horse Book of Witchcraft, so. All these, I imagine it was bookended with a bunch of other who knows what kind of stories about witches, and then he's going to have his little witch message in there to the reader, which I thought was kind of interesting to think about context. Yeah, but that kind of goes along just what you were kind of talking about earlier. Right. In terms of, um, uh, I don't even know what How does say. that make you feel? Yeah, how does, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel about witches, of what your ideas are of witches? 
and all of that, which I think is is really interesting and just a beautiful story. I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Well, it also makes it also brings up a point of are you doing this to protect other people? Or are you doing this for revenge? And there's a difference. And if you're doing it for revenge, you're going to want people to suffer. If you're doing it because this is something that this is the yeah, only way to stop like this that. from happening. Can I do this without anyone suffering? I mean, I'm sure that they they suffer while they're turning to stone, but they know, do once scream out. Stone, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it's not. There's no bloody fight. There's not a no. Like she says, no blow struck, no drop of blood spilled, and so yeah. I wonder how you feel about that. Is it's a very interesting question. Yeah. The end. Good job. Good job with that one. And there I, you go. I, I love that. <laughs> I love the troll witch. Next, we're going to talk about the Vampire of Prague. The Vampire of Prague was originally published in 2007 in the Troll Witch and Others trade paperback, story by Mignola. The art is by P. Craig Russell, colors by Lovern Kynsierski, and letters by Galen Showman. P. Craig Russell, I'm not really too familiar with his work. He's best known for 1984's Night Music. I love his work. I love his art style. An ongoing anthology series for Eclipse Comics, featuring some of his most heralded literary and operatic adaptations, of which he won many Eisner Awards. And I think that he has also inked a lot for Mignola. Oh, interesting. So in the past, I think in some of Mignola's previous work, uh, may, I don't know about his Hellboy work, but certainly in his, some of his other work be, uh, before Hellboy, P. Craig Russell inked a lot of his pencils. We open in Prague. Gustav Kublin, professor of occult studies at the University of Krakow, tells us about the old new synagogue and all the restless dead that haunt its surroundings. And we see a bunch of them. We, we see all these weird ghosts as he's kind of telling this tale. We see like a nun with like a sword through her. And there's just like some really interesting imagery. The um, sperm ghost thing is like the craziest looking thing right there behind the baby. Oh, you're right. I didn't even notice those little there's sperm also, guys. There's also, there's also a bunch of puppets, marionettes hanging. And these characters are all ghosts that we see in the little panels beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Good little detail. Thanks for pointing that out. And the one that we're about to see, there's also the character yeah. we're going to be dealing with, this vampire guy. I also like how that, that one ghost looks like it's holding a condom. Yeah. I was looking at that one. I was wondering if maybe that's um, like um, right. somebody who was hired and then killed or something like that. Or, yeah. you know, who, who knows what happens with that uh, ghost. But one of these ghosts is actually cutting the cutting the panel the panel yeah, yeah that's pretty interesting well and they're looking straight at the reader so that might be sort of a little yeah fourth wall break breaking the fourth they're... wall and then it's also like it's also one of the marionettes and the um yeah that's what i was yeah, yeah pointing oh out. yeah you're right that's what I was saying neat yeah, i really like that yeah because the marionette's like cutting his own string which is kind of fourth wall breaking in terms of puppets and then the other one is cutting the panel yeah i like that and this word Lautke, it actually means marionette shop. That's cool. what that's what it's called. Interesting. I was looking up Gustav Kuban, and I couldn't really find a reference to this, but there is an Alfred Kuban who was a printmaker and who was known for his symbolism and expressionism in his works. And one of his one of his works was the novel The Golem by Gustav Mayrick. So I don't know if maybe maybe yeah, Mignola's a fan of that. Uh, maybe he's a fan of that book, The Golem. Professor Kubin in the story goes on that the worst of these supernatural beings in Prague is the vampire of Prague, a verger who was a gambler and one of the last alive during the plague. 
since there was no one else to play cards with him to gamble with, he struck up a game with the dead, cursing him to wander the city seeking victims. If he can be beaten at cards, he can be set free, but if you lose to him, you die. I really like the way that Russell kind of tells this story. It almost looks like animated to me. It almost has like an, I could almost see it like animated in sure. that. Oh, yeah. Old heavy metal style or yeah. something like that. Oh, yeah. And all the uh, the things in the room have little tiny... He, he likes to put these little weird details, like all the cards, symbols, the spades, and the clubs, and all that stuff. Yeah. And on the next page, where we see Hellboy enter in on August uh, 1982, the little smoke coming from all the candles, I think that that right. like, really adds a lot of, uh, a lot of effect. Hellboy enters a parlor. A bunch of men are slumped over at a table where it looks like they were playing cards, and he sees a bat. And this bat is kind of licking from inside of this glass. So is it all blood? Is it all blood from yeah, those men, right? Uh, I'm not sure, but i got to say, that is one adorable looking it's very bat. Car- I was going to say, it's very yeah. cartoony. And then the way that his wings are propping up on the top of the glass, yeah. if you've ever oh, seen like yeah. a, like like a dog or a cat try to drink out of a toilet bowl, <laughs> <laughs> it's got that same kind of look to it. Cross. By the way, yeah. listeners, you should not let your pets do that. It's really, really bad for them. It is, and it's also just disgusting. Well, yeah, there's yeah, so much bacteria that make them sick. Don't do that. As soon as the bat sees Hellboy, Hellboy is engulfed by bats. Remember in the Virkulak, all the bats kind of swarmed Hellboy up. Virkulak. Hellboy fumbles through his utility belt and finds his grenade bomb, and he pulls the pin on it. And we have this little flashback to two months earlier. I gotta say, best flashback ever. (laughs) (laughs) We see a BPRD scientist, and he kind of looks like Dr. Cobb. Remember from Dr. Cobb back when we read Ape Sapien vs. Science? I don't know if this is the same guy. He's instructing Hellboy on using these grenades. And he tells him to use the Vulcan 40, not the 50, near people or buildings. Don't get them mixed up. No problem, says Hellboy. And then back in the present, we see that he threw the wrong one, right? He threw the 50 instead of the 40. I like how he says the 40 can take down a pile of elephants. The 50 will blow up a mountain. Right. (laughs) Why would you make them look the same, dude? I know, right? (laughs) Not that you would even want to explode any elephants. (laughs) So, Hellboy, there's a giant boom. And we see it from the skyline. It's, It's very cool looking. In the debris, Hellboy's walking through. And there are all these kind of cards falling from the sky. Here comes a very cartoonish man. Yeah, he sees, uh, he gets an ace with a skull on it, and then he sees the vampire of Prague in front of him. And they just start fighting through the city. As they fight, we see some very cool Prague statues and architecture lovingly rendered by Russell. Amongst these are the entrance gates of Prague Castle. Those are those two giants. One of them has like a sword. And the other one has like a club or something like that. Yeah, these are very faithfully rendered. And then we also see the statue of St. Wenceslas. There's a song that, you know, King King Wenceslas? Wenceslas, okay. Something, 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 (laughs) something, 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 Wenceslas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the words to it, but I know that there's a good King Wenceslas in there. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. We also see the statue of St. Wenceslas, which is installed at Wenceslas Square. This is the one that Hellboy and the vampire break the flag of as they fight. Yeah, and so these are very well done by Russell. They fall off the St. Charles Bridge and through the window of the marionette shop. 
And like Danielle said, we see all those ghosts from earlier in, in, in the shop. I also like how the vampire actually isn't saying anything other than like hiss and hack and all oh, that. Oh, yeah, you're right. I guess yeah. he doesn't really have any. Yeah, this really little fight any... tussle thing. This little, this little tussle goes on for, for quite some time. It's it's a fair amount of pages here. Yeah. When then uh, Hellboy gets tangled up in all these marionettes, there's one that's a little like a devil boy. Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. I like that. As the vampire comes down to get Hellboy and swoop him away, Hellboy grabs a shard of broken glass and cuts off the vampire's head. And as his body collapses, cards fall from its sleeve. And Hellboy grabs them up in the right hand of Doom. And I like how he looks at him and he's like, ooh. Yeah, it's cute. (laughs) And so as the vampire is chasing after his head that Hellboy just cut off, he says, well, there's something you don't see every day. Hey, pal, good luck with that. And the I guess the sun is coming up, so the head's starting to burn, the body's starting to burn and decay. Yeah. And we kind of see this go on through all these panels. And finally, it's just the skull left, and it paths out, leaving some cards, some coins, and a little snake serpent. And he... he these little wings pop out. They're so cute. Oh, yeah. yeah. The little ploit onomatopoeia as the wings pop out. That's really cute. Oh, you slippery bastard. Come here, Hellboy says. And it starts to fly away. And I think you mentioned this on a previous episode, Aubrey, that like the original Dracula could turn into all these different animals. It yeah. wasn't just bats, oh, yeah. right? Well, mm-hmm. I, like, so, I like the way he's designed these this deck of cards. You know, the, the back of the card. Oh, yeah. It's got the little bats on it. So, yeah. I really like that. As the bat flies away, he leaves his cards behind. So Hellboy was dealt his cards, and now the bat uh, left his cards behind. And Hellboy kind of looks him over, and he says, Ha! Full house, dumbass. In the little footnote, in poker, a full house beats a straight. So Hellboy has a full house, and he has a straight. And you were telling me something. He, about- well, he very nearly had a straight flush. Yeah. And if he had, if if that seven was a spade rather than a heart, okay, so he I was won. I was actually about to ask oh, about that. Yeah, because I'm yeah. like, I was like, wait a second. Here's a seven of heart, not seven of spade. Exactly. So that's yeah. that's a that's just a straight. Instead of being a straight flush. So the full house would just beat it. Right. You know, just a regular old straight. Good so to know. Good, good to know. I don't know all my card things. So the card game of poker was developed sometime during the early 19... 19- I'm just kidding. I'm not I was about that. to say. Oh, man. Oh, man. You really got me. You really oh, got me. I honestly thought you were going there. I was- <laughs> uh. <laughs> now we have to leave it up to the to the listeners to tell us of all about poker. Yes. So as the sun and the sun is coming up, so here we see it, and it's very cartoony. I love this whole yeah, scene. Yeah, it gets from, back into this real psychedelic kind yeah, of. Yeah, I love this kind of rooster crowing. So that throws the bat off. Then there's like a bell. Then there's the church bell is bonging, and so all these things kind of disorient it, and it whaps into the side of a crucifix showing from this statue. Yeah. Let's say the the church bell bonging reminded me a little bit of the Looney Tunes uh, cartoon opening or ending. Yeah, oh, it does right. look like that. Yeah. And so this statue that the vampire slams into is the statue of John the Baptist, which is on the north side of the Charles Bridge, and it does look exactly like this. And I, it, it almost looks to me like it's giving Hellboy a thumbs up. Like, well, he's he's <laughs> pointing, but he's got the. It's almost like the Buddy Jesus point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Hellboy just smiles, tosses his cards up, and says, there you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Some trivia about the vampire of Prague. Mignola says when he first went to Prague was with Guillermo del Toro while they were scouting for Blade Two, Whoa. And they were looking for Kafka puppets. 
Whoa. And he said that they did end up finding one, but they fell in love with a puppet that was a horrible pop-eyed green face thing <laughs> with little playing cards tucked into its sleeve. And pinned to it was a little book telling of a gambler ghost. Oh, wow. And so Mignola took straight from that little book that was pinned to the to the puppet and he turned him into a vampire instead of a ghost he wrote the story but realized that he would probably never draw it so he asked russell to do it and um, he gave him very little direction other than the dialogue and a loose description of the action so yeah the vampire of prague i like that little story and something interesting um i think jerry turnbull posted this on facebook a while back i'll have to find it but there's a picture somewhere of Mignola's shelf of his, like, library, and there's a green little puppet oh, hanging wow. from it. And I think it's this That's puppet. I think it's this green puppet. I'll have to see if I can find that picture. Awesome. Very cool. The next story we're going to talk about is They That Go Down to the Sea in Ships. This was first published in 2007. The story was co-published by the game company Konami and released as a free giveaway during the New York Comic Con to promote Hellboy the Science of Evil, which is not a good game. Um, I actually bought this game when it first came out, and the frustrating thing is like it kept glitching, but it would glitch in a way where I would just get stuck and have to restart. So like I'd be walking around, and Hellboy would just get stuck somewhere, and I couldn't move anymore. It was so irritating, and I've read some reviews for it. I've actually thought about going back and buying it again to give it another shot, but I don't think it's a very good game. But anyway, this uh, comic was a promotion for that, and it was only available at that con. It's a pretty rare issue. It's worth quite a bit if you're trying to look for the back issue. I just want to talk about the cover art really quick. I really love this um, cover image with Hellboy and Abe. But this, um, this skeleton in the back, it's piercing a heart and it's toasting to the devil and that's the flag of blackbeard (laughs) that's what his flag looked like historically so i just thought i would throw that little bit of trivia out the story is by mignola and joshua dysart dysart is a writer whose bibliography includes the valiant series harbinger as well as conan swamp thing and violent messiahs art is by jason sean alexander colors by dave stewart and letters by clem robbins the story opens on 1986, Massachusetts. A man walks into King's Ransom Antiques. I actually looked at that, tried to figure out what it said in the in the window since it's backwards. And the old clerk asks the man if he needs help. He says he's just coming in from the rain. Uh, this man says that he does psychic readings and asks the clerk if he wants one. While they talk, a bumping is coming from behind them. What do you think of Jason Sean Alexander's pencils so far? They're great. I, I really like his style. It's um, it looks fantastic. Sometimes some of the inks can get a little a little muddy, but I think it works for the tone yeah. of the story. Yeah, I love how he does the the interiors of this shop with all the different antiques and everything. It looks great. I also enjoy it. Did you also notice that one plaque when the guy walks in and it has a little um, writing on it that's from? Psalm 107, and it says the uh, title of it. Uh, oh, I noticed that it's written ship. in fucking papyrus. I noticed that. Oh, no. The worst <laughs> font. Yeah, it does say that. I didn't notice that, Aubrey. Thanks for pointing that out. They that go down to the sea in ships, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Psalms 107. So that's where that reference of the title comes from. They heard the bumping, and now a shelf falls over, including all the antiques on it, revealing a bowl made out of a skull. The psych senses a presence from it and almost drops it. 
and he tells the clerk he has to have it. But he doesn't have the $218 to pay for it, so he kills the clerk. And I really like this panel where he sees, he senses this presence. It's really just spooky, and um, it utilizes a lot of the kind of negative space, kind of like how we see Mignola do. Yeah. What is this thing that he kills him with? Do, do you know it's what a, that... It's a sextet? A sex, it's what they used... Uh, Sextant. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So it's uh, sailors would use to find their way on... Uh, in the ocean. Yeah. So that's another good reference to sea travel and all that. One month later, we're on Orcacoke Island in North Carolina, and Abe Sapien is on the southern beach. And I just love these panels of Abe emerging from the water. Just looks really great. It's also nice to see Abe again. We haven't seen him in a, yeah. in a few issues. Yeah, get some Abe here. Hellboy is on a boat heading in that direction alongside a local historian, Earl Reeds who has been subcontracted with the BPRD. And so I was thinking about this a little bit. We always see Hellboy with some guy, somebody like a local person or someone who's telling him stuff. So this kind of gives us a, a little information, like maybe they're all subcontracted with the BPRD to do this kind of work and help Hellboy out. And we get some conversation about his feet. Aren't you, weren't you talking about his feet a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And uh, something Aubrey had said in a previous episode that they look, that the, his footwear because i was saying oh but his toes stick out his cloven toes and so what are those boots that have the toes cut off and aubrey said uh, they look like spats and here they're clearly rendered as spats nice. yeah, and that's really that interesting hellboy's like what it's the feet right so he's like all red he's like a giant red monster with like <laughs> horns but he's like it's the feet right hellboy asks reeds what he knows about the head and we cut back to the guy who killed the clerk for the bowl He's in a boat, and we learn his name is Mark, and he's with his friend, and we learn that his friend is named Whitey. Mark is going on about how his vision led him to this spot, and Whitey's comments let us know that he's been going on like this for a while. So he's all, like, obsessed with this head and constantly, like, ranting about it. Mark rushes out of the boat and exclaims, There, you see it? And he points off into the water. Yes, yes, come to me. I have what you've sought all this time. I found it, me, Mark the All-Knowing. That's that's his name for himself, isn't it? <laughs> I that's, mean, like, yeah. you're going to come up with a name for yourself. Well, it's, the, yeah. That's the kind of name a douchebag definitely gives himself. <laughs> Mark the All-Knowing. It's very much like Steve, the Wonder Guy. Right. He says, I have your head, Blackbeard. We cut back to Abe. He approaches a hooded figure sitting on the beach. He tells Abe that he can tell that he's part of the commotion. Things are hopping around the old cove tonight, they are. Abe says, you mean with Blackbeard? And the hooded figure reveals to Abe that he knew Blackbeard. And he says that Blackbeard was not kind to his crew or women. So Blackbeard the pirate was Edward Teach or Edward Thatch. And he lived from 1680 to 1718. He was an English pirate who operated around the West Indies and the eastern coast of Britain's North American colonies. So this is set in Massachusetts, so that's kind of falls in line with the history there. Lieutenant Maynard of the Royal Navy did indeed kill Blackbeard and display his head on the bow spirit, just like in the story. Also, Maynard later examined Teach's body, noting that it had been shot five times and cut about 20 times. So... As they're kind of telling the history of Blackbeard, we learn all about this. He had, you know, he was shot so many times. He was stabbed so many times before he finally died. They cut off his head and 
they displayed it on the bow. Here in this story, Reeds tells us that Blackbeard's headless body swam laps around the boat after it fell overboard. <laughs> and I really like this flashback here. It's kind of in different colors as well. Kind of lets us know that it's taking place in another part of history. And um, uh, Alexander does a really good job with that. The head is put on display and is stolen by Blackbeard's friends in 1719 and turned into a silver chalice, which has been used for various reasons, including some ceremonies and frat parties. And the head disappears from Reed's records around 1949. And we see a lot of renditions, again, of the... I like how it made its way from Yale to Boston University somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like how Yale, it uh, made me think of the Skull and Bones Yeah, yeah, thing, well, so. definitely. Yeah, that's, that's what that is, is. yeah. yeah. I wonder if this guy was uh, Falls Church, Virginia, 1890. I was wondering if that was supposed to be somebody. Hellboy catches Reed up on Mark killing the clerk for it recently and tells him that the clerk's ghost told a medium in Florida what had happened and that the medium called the BPRD. So that's kind of interesting. Like this medium in Florida was just like doing a seance and came across this clerk who had just been killed by Mark. And then it was like, hey, this shit just happened in Florida. I told yeah. him his whole story. And so they called the BPRD. That's a pretty cool um, history on like how they actually get these cases or learn about all these weird things. Reed says that he's very excited by all this. And Hellboy says, let's hope it doesn't get too exciting. Back with Mark and Whitey, they watch Blackbeard's headless skeleton approach and fight over who gets to hold it. Whitey says how he's paid for the whole investment, and he shoots Mark in the head. And he complains again about Mark's obsession with the head. And Blackbeard kind of agrees with him, right? Blackbeard's like, ah, a man after me own heart. So um, I guess Blackbeard was pretty tired of it as well. Right then, Hellboy pulls up with reeds. Whitey tells Blackbeard that he's the one in control here. You understand? So yeah... I'm Whitey Pacelli, and I'm in control here. Understand? I don't know. Is that is... <laughs> what? Whitey? Ridiculous. <laughs> I could kind of hear that that uh that accent in there. Blackbeard says he does understand control, and Blackbeard slices Whitey in half with a sword. Hellboy confronts Blackbeard and asks who the dead guys are. Blackbeard says men who should have known better, and he tells Hellboy he looks like an agent of Old Scratch. Old Scratch or Mr. Scratch is the name of the devil. Most likely, uh, This name likely continues Middle English Scrat, the name of a demon or goblin, derived from Old Norse Scrat. Hellboy says he's not leaving without the head, and Blackbeard says he hasn't had a good fight in nearly 300 years. So at the time of this release, that was 289 years, so he was pretty close, but as of this year, it is actually 300 years. Let's make this count for something, shall we? And he shoots at Hellboy. He shoots Hellboy in the shoulder. Back with Abe and the hooded figure. And I like them sitting here on the log together in that shot. The hooded figure tells Abe that the sea is full of ghosts who were killed by Blackbeard. And the sea boils over with angry hearts. And we see all these pirate skeletons rise from the water. Abe says, we've got company. The hooded figure reveals himself to be a dead pirate as well. He says that the company is there for him. That old snake's finally clawed himself back into the world, and we got some debts to settle. Unlike me mates, I always did love the land more than the water. And Abe calls to Hellboy on the walkie. So that part where he says, I always did love the land more than the water, that means that he just chills on the land. Like, he's just... Like, he's like, I'm a ghost, just like all those guys, but I hang out on the land instead, because <laughs> I like this better. 
You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's also an interesting idea, like a pirate sailing on the sea for most of your life. You don't even like being on the you like being on the land more than you like being on the water. It's very like yeah. So why, why were you a pirate? <laughs> but sucks. also, like now that he can be, I guess, like even as a dead guy, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna hang out on land if I can. Sure. <laughs> so Abe calls out to Hellboy. I think something's happening, and Hellboy's like, yeah, as he's, like, fighting Blackbeard, there's, like, the sword is banging off the right hand of Doom, and Blackbeard shoots him right in the chest, and I guess Abe hears this on the walkie, because he, he immediately dives into the water. Hellboy knocks off Blackbeard's head with the right hand of Doom and says, God damn it, stop shooting me. <laughs> the head lands near Reed's. He reaches for it for a second. Hellboy yells, get away from the head. And Blackbeard's headless body almost cuts down Reed's. Before Hellboy intervenes, Blackbeard tells Hellboy to join forces with him. And I love this last panel as they're kind of struggling. Hellboy's kind of holding Blackbeard's arms up like that, trying to stop him from putting his head back on. I just really like that stance right there. Suddenly, the pirate goes from beneath Hellboy and Blackbeard, pull Blackbeard down underwater before he can reattach his head. Hold on a second. Go ahead. I like how his head still has the price tag on it. Oh, yeah, it does. That's hilarious. From the chalice, right? So it's still $218. (laughs) As they pull him down, Abe is underwater, and he sees them all swarm past. Blackbeard's face kind of yelling at him from under the water. Looks just really amazing. Um, This is just a really great shot by Jason Alexander on this page. Abe finds Hellboy and asks him if he's all right. Well, that was something. And so that's what uh, that's what Hellboy always says. But here we see Abe say it. So I, I kind of wonder, like, did Hellboy pick it up from Abe? Or is that something that Abe says? And, you know, I just like that they both kind of say a similar phrase. Well, I just assumed it was uh, Abe repeating Hellboy's phrase too, back to him. Yeah, that's probably more likely. Hellboy says, everybody loves a pirate. And we see the bodies of the two guys, Mark and Whitey. And then the look on Reed's face when they when he reaches down for him. Come on, we'll take you home. I love that expression right there. And they leave in the boat. They sail off in the little boat. The end. Some trivia for they that go down in the sea in ships. Mignola had heard about how Blackbeard was killed and wondered what happened to the head. He read a story of Blackbeard's headless ghost haunting a stretch of coastline and then plotted the story and forgot about it. Later, he was approached about the video game giveaway comic, and he convinced Dysart to expand the story. So Dysart added the Abe stuff, and he did the the historical fiction on Blackbeard. And Jason Sean Alexander did this story as a warm-up to another story that we'll see in the future. So um, he was going to start working with Mignola, and Mignola said, let's do this little warm-up story first. And so that's how that all came about. The next story we're going to talk about is Dr. Karp's Experiment. This story was originally published in 2003 in the Dark Horse Book of Hauntings. Story and art are by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. We're in Long Island, New York in 1991, and Hellboy is with another BPRD agent at the home of Dr. Karp, born in 1836. After his death, it was discovered that he was a grandmaster in the Golden Lodge of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. So we, we heard about the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra in our last week's story, Into the Silent Sea. The woman in black was also part of this brotherhood. It also says here they are believed to be responsible for the San Francisco earthquake and the Tunguski 
forced explosion? Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> Shouldn't I read uh, they try and take credit for Mother Nature's stuff? <laughs> right, yeah. And so I, I did read about this. The earthquake of 1906 was a 7.9 magnitude and was considered one of the worst and deadliest earthquakes in the history of the United States. And the Tunguska event was a large explosion that occurred near the stony Tunguska River in Russia. The explosion flattened 2,000 square kilometers of forest, yet no known human casualties. The explosion is generally attributed to the airburst of a meteoroid. It is classified as an impact event, even though there is no impact crater. So there is no evidence... So they thought that it dis- that the meteoroid disintegrated at an altitude of 5 to 10 kilometers rather than have hit the surface of the Earth. But there's a lot of other like, sure, yeah. popular culture where they talk about this event and they attach mystery to it. They even uh, talk about it in the first Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, really? Do yeah. they? Yeah. But have you seen pictures of that uh, where all the trees flattened and everything? Yeah, it's weird. It no. Is. Oh, it's crazy. You should go look them up there. It's like um, flattened out in a circle-like pattern as wow. it extends out. That's really cool. And so when Hellboy hears about the Heliopic Brotherhood, he goes, oh, those guys. So he was crazy. Have we seen um, this uh, this picture image before? Oh, the um, on the next panel, there's the heart with the in the skeleton. You know, uh, we it, we saw similar imagery in the island. The guy was taking all of Hellboy's blood in. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it it does look familiar. I wonder if that pops up anywhere else. Because I mean, it, it does look like Hellboy is like looking directly at that, and so I was just wondering about that. Yeah. That's a good little detail. The agent tells Hellboy that Carp disappeared in 1902 and his sister lived there, but it's been empty since 1911. And Hellboy's just like, how haunted is it? Not too bad. The I usual love that. stuff. That's yeah, great. yeah. <laughs> so he already kind of knows something is up and she's just like, not too bad. So there's some really cool imagery. I love all the imagery inside Dr. Carp's house. There's like a portrait of all these guys with like a demon behind it or something. And then there's just like a little eye. All these interiors are just really nicely done. Yeah, Mignola is great with these little details. Yeah, I really enjoy how he sets the mood for this haunted house. The BPRD's psychic team, after repeated visits, have concluded that the location bears a psychic imprint due to a single act of violence or some other strong emotional trauma. Well, I like this part here where they're um, talking about Leslie Campbell, like she's saying, oh, the Bureau sent some psychics out here. And you remember Leslie Campbell? And he goes, oh, she's good. Yeah. Like, it's very shop talk. Yeah. You get a yeah. sense that they work together at a Bureau. It's a very, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it sets the tone. Really it nice really does. Like, yeah. Oh, it kind of goes back to like, well, how haunted is it? Oh, it's not too bad. It's very <laughs> subtle and kind of, you know, it's not, oh, ew, the house is haunted. Yeah. They're very, it's very matter of fact. They've dealt with this before and like, oh, she's good. She's a good psychic. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I like that. I like those little um, setting the kind of personality of the team, too. Hellboy hears a sound, and he asks for silence. Hellboy says he can hear a voice, and I like how she's like, is it Latin? She immediately starts going back to her notes. (laughs) It is a very Mulder Scully kind of a setup here. Yeah. Hellboy says that he hears a voice and chalk on a chalkboard, and no one had ever reported the chalk. And we see, like, a hand. I love how it cuts to this shot of the hand, like, drawing something on the chalkboard. Well, it's drawing a sigil from the Key of Solomon, which is a grimoire, probably the most well-known grimoire. And this is probably the most well-known pentacle publicly. Of course, it's filled with, I mean, there's so many of these pentacle hundreds. There's 
however many pentacles of Saturn, of the moon, wow. etc. So there's there's so many of these sigils in this in this grimoire, but this is probably the most well known. Wow. Thanks for that bit of trivia. I'm glad you, no you knew that. Problem. I was um actually looking in the sketchbook section in the sketchbook section of the um, library edition, there's a really good picture of it yeah. um, where you can see it complete. And, and so, he adds, of I, course, well, yeah, Mignola puts his own little spin on, spin on it. He gives it his own style. It's, you know, he really embellishes it a lot, which I which I like. And it looks great. Obviously, Mignola is always so good at doing these sigils. And obviously, the colorist, we've talked about how much, oh, I yeah. like, you know, yeah. he sets the tone for these panels and everything. But yeah. I really enjoyed uh, the pacing of that. The agent tells Hellboy that the original floor plans for Dr. Karp's house just turned up and there was a basement room that wasn't on the new floor plans. So they went digging. And we see more of this symbol on the next page. The tetragrammaton of uh, Yova, I think. Wow. And there you go. We haven't opened it yet. We're waiting for you. And so Hellboy says, remember the secret room at Castle Glamis? (laughs) So Glamis Castle is in Angus, Scotland, and there is a famous legend connected with the castle called the Monster of Glamis, a hideously deformed child born in the family. The legend says that the monster was kept in the castle all his life, and his suite of rooms was bricked up after his death. Wow. So I guess they found the bricked up room, and Hellboy had to go in there, and he probably found something right oh, because so they're, they they're telling him that's why that's why you're going in there that's first. why you go first he's like every dirty job hellboy opens the door and exclaims how cold it is this is a popular sign of ghost activity right cold sure. spots sure. somebody calls out hellboy and then immediately there's these two guys with goggles they emerge from behind hellboy and prod him with these spear weapons and they're kind of subduing him with electricity and this is just crazy right yeah <laughs> Looks These like, action scenes, there's no dialogue. It's just, it's just all action. Yeah. Sorry. I was gonna say it kind of looked like, well, they kind of look like they're like, um, like prototype cattle prods or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can kind of see as one of like one of them's about to make contact with him, and then when it does, it's it's electrified or whatever. And all this looks really great. We reveal the room, and we see the man has that wrote, wrote that symbol. We see him in the background. And then we see Dr. Carp running over with a syringe. And Dr. Carp pulls blood out of Hellboy. And then it, it, all this happens really quickly over the next couple of pages. He puts blood into this monkey that's strapped to like a gurney or something. And then the monkey just starts to like flip out, turns into like this devil monkey, starts fighting everybody. And um, and they shoot him. Yeah, Hellboy goes to fight the monkey and he jumps on top of it, but the devil is quickly shot by one of the men who also dies right after shooting him. As the devil falls back, it drops Hellboy, and just as Hellboy hits the ground, he's back in the cold room in the present. Everything's all covered with cobwebs, just like when he walked in there and he's totally stunned. The agent calls out and Hellboy goes, holy crap, how long was I in there? And it has like that little the yeah. little dialogue again. I really like whenever they do that. And like he had apparently just stepped into the room two seconds ago, and she's she's she sees him on the ground. And says, "Did you trip?" Him? Right. Like yeah. He's just sitting on the ground for no reason. And he's like, "I guess so." So here's another part where he just kind of like he knows that that didn't happen, but he just goes along with it. Yeah. He's just like, "Yeah, yeah. I guess I did trip." And we see just the inside of the room, and this is just an incredible reveal. It's you see the skeleton of the demon monkey and the chalkboard and everything, just like we saw it was, but now. It's been years and years and years since any of this stuff had happened. 
all the guys on the ground have turned into skeletons, and we can just tell that a lot of time has passed. One of the agents, holy crap, it looks like these guys conjured up a demon and then shot it full of holes. <laughs> this is a good one. This is one for the books. And like, <laughs> that guy has no idea, you know, what has just happened. The agent looks at the skeleton of the man who shot the demon monkey. No wonder this place is haunted. The agent asks Hellboy if he's all right, and Hellboy picks up the syringe with some of his blood still in it, but covered with cobwebs. We see Dr. Carp's dead body. The end. So what'd you guys think of this one? This was, I thought, I, this one is really interesting. The first time I read this one, it was kind of like, wait, what? Like, when you try and think about it, it just kind of, your mind just starts going back on itself. It makes me think, okay, one, did they conjure Hellboy to get him in that whole time travel thing? Uh, just so they can get his blood, so they can inject it into the monkey, so they could see what would happen to the poor defenseless monkey. <laughs> and two, defenseless. now that he's a defenseless, yeah, he's yeah. a defensive monkey. Like, oh, sorry, like, my, the, I don't have a problem. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, sorry. Uh, defenseless monkey. But then also number two, um, he picks up the syringe at the end. What's going to come with come about? Well, with yeah, that? because they had to they had to get his blo- they had to get his blood and put it into this well, no, monkey. I mean, are we, we, we going to see this blood syringe right. thing? Oh, pop, right. pop I know. I'm future? still. I'm my. Yeah. I'm still like John said. I'm still stuck on the whole. How did this even wait? How did right. this happen? But yeah, no, you're you're right. How are they going to? Are we going to see more of this later? What's going to yeah. happen with that? Yeah, and Mignola said uh, some of the trivia. He said that he wanted to do something incorporating time travel. This was one of the first stories that he plotted for Hellboy, and he did it a bunch of different times trying to figure out what was the best way, and it was almost going to be in Conqueror Worm. When Hellboy finds that cabinet of heads and he goes, this is the worst place on earth, (laughs) that was going to happen to him instead. He was going to walk into this room and this crazy thing was going to happen to him. Mignola said he wanted to do a haunted house story and thought it would be funny if it started with something very subtle, like the whispers in the old pictures, and ended with something extremely unstable at the center of it. Electric harpoons and a demon monkey. <laughs> That's Dr. Carp's experiment. I really enjoy that one. So, When uh, the whole thing, and he comes back in time, and she's like, you've only been, how long have I been gone? He's like, what, two seconds did yeah. you trip? It reminded me of Contact, where, uh, you know, yeah. in the book or the movie, uh, where oh, Jodie Foster right. comes down, and then she goes off on this adventure. In the book, there's five people. Um, and then they come back, and it's been like three seconds or something like yeah. that. Right. She has this whole adventure, yeah. and no time has passed. And yeah. she's freaking out. Yeah. She's like, no, that's impossible, all this stuff. And then at the very end, you see, no, if you haven't seen the, sorry, by the way, if Spoilers you haven't seen contact. contact or Red Contact, we, yeah. Spoiler for a 20. 20- yeah, there's a movie. there's a statute of limitations, I guess, but still, I mean, there's this whole thing where she's testifying on this, you know, uh, panel of whatever before the judiciary know, and, panel yeah, uh, yeah, to and, the Senate. Yeah, and so and James she, Woods they, is there. James Woods is there. <laughs> James Woods it's all again. full circle. No, and she's talking about uh, something, something, and someone mentions to her that there was however many hours of tape. They oh. couldn't see anything on oh, the tape. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, later after the testimony. They yeah. were like, uh, there was only static, but there was exactly 15 hours exactly of static. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Oh, I like that. And so it's kind of like there is there is that small evidence that if Hellboy tried to explain that to anyone, they'd be like, what? But he knows. All right. Well, that was a great episode. Anything else? Um, 
I have yeah. one more thing. We are today, the day that we're yes. recording is Sunday, September 16th, which it is Mike Mignola's birthday. Happy yeah. birthday. Happy, Happy birth- birthday. Happy birthday, Mike Mignola. Y'all won't uh, hear this because it's pre-recorded. You won't, y'all won't hear it until Tuesday, but we wanted to go ahead and say happy birthday. Yeah. And if you're uh, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, it's still birthday week or whatever so yeah i suggest True. you go out and you buy some dark horse comics buy uh some hellboy related stuff but buy it like from the comic store or from like if you buy stuff on ebay obviously it's not going to yeah and watch Mignola. out with ebay there's been a lot of bullshit on there lately yeah there really has to you gotta be careful with the original shit. art on there so if you're if you're buying art if you're buying uh, anyone's work, make sure you're getting it from a reliable source. Make sure that money is going to the artist. And you can wish Mike Mignola a happy birthday by maybe going to his website. Yeah. Getting something off there or something like that. Or, yeah, like John was saying, your local comic book store and getting something of his. Yeah. Great. Great plug at the end. Thank you for remembering that. I can't believe that I almost forgot. <laughs> and this week I bought... I know that I bought some of the omnibuses. I bought them from Dark Horse Digital, so I have some of those now. And I also got the latest issue of BPRD this week. I paid my money for it at the comic book store. So, yeah, uh, support this comic book in any way that you can. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So tell us your thoughts on The Hydra and the Lion, The Troll Witch, The Vampire Brog, They That Come Down to the Sea in Ships, Say that five times fast. <laughs> and Dr. Carp's experiment. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we'll be discussing the ghoul in the chapel of Moloch and Makoma. You can find the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And unless you don't, then tell us and we'll get on there. Pull out your back issues, trades, library editions, omnibus, so download the digitals. Follow us along next week. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, everybody loves pirates. <laughs> <laughs>